and welcome to Texas Tech Health Check from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy with help from evidence-based advice from our physicians, healthcare providers, and researchers. Whether you go to bed by night or by day, getting restful sleep is a problem for many of us. Dr. Gilbert Burdine, Associate Professor of Internal Medicine at the School of Medicine, has not used an alarm clock for over 10 years. He is our guest for this episode, and he shares his tips for not needing an alarm clock, what happens to our bodies while we sleep, and what happens to those with sleep apnea. He gives us his opinion on naps and when we should see a doctor. Dr. Burdine, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your expertise, and what you do at the Health Sciences Center? Well, I do a lot of things at the Health Science Center, but as far as sleep, I interpret the sleep tests for tech. When I came here 14 years ago, there was a group of people reading, but now it's just me. And and it was a matter of attrition. Um, so there was a rotation, and they would send the test through a rotation and I would read all the tests the day I got them. So they would get them back the same day. And the other physicians, they would sit on their desks for six weeks. So eventually they just sent them to me. And they didn't send them to anybody else. And the thing was, nobody even noticed. So I, I became the only person to read just by default. So you're our sleep expert. I'm our sleep expert, yes. Well, uh, speaking of sleep then, why is it important to get a good night's sleep? What happens to our body when we sleep? So sleep is not adequately appreciated. It's necessary for life. If you sleep deprive any mammal, it will die. This is true of mice, rats, as well as people. So every mammal needs sleep. We don't completely know what happens during sleep. We just know it's necessary. If you don't get it, you're going to have significant problems. We believe that two major things happen during sleep. Because there's no physical activity, blood flow can be shunted away from muscles and vital organs to go where it's needed for self-repair. So we think sleep is very important for the healing process whenever there's an illness. The other thing is sleep appears to be necessary for us to organize our memories. We don't store information in our brains the same way computers do. We have everything connected by associations. You've probably experienced you're having trouble remembering a name and then a smell triggers the memory, or a sound triggers the memory. So you don't store the sound separately from the visual, from everything else. It's, it's all lumped together, and so it's an experience. And we have two kinds of memory, short-term and long-term memory. And during sleep, all of the events that happened previously 
uh, gets somehow shifted from short-term memory to long-term memory so you can recall it a long time later. So if you don't sleep properly, you're going to have memory issues. The other symptoms associated with sleep are irritability, so you tend to get upset easily, mood swings, and then if it gets worse, you have cognitive impairment. You certainly have a decrease in, in reflex responsiveness. You have a decrease in motor skills, the ability to calculate. So all of your high-level functions start to deteriorate if you don't get enough sleep. Do we need less sleep as we age, though? Probably, but not by a lot. So the average for young adults is around eight hours of sleep. And maybe that falls off to seven or six as you get older. But so it doesn't decrease down to zero. It, it may decrease from eight to seven or something like that as you age. What are some sleep disorders and causes? Well, the big one is obstructive sleep apnea. That's mostly what I do. And obstructive sleep apnea, a long time ago, it was thought to be narcolepsy, but it's narcolepsy is something separate. And there's a syndrome uh, called the Pickwickian syndrome, which is based on a character in the Pickwick Papers by Charles Dickens, Joe the Fat Boy. Now, Joe the Fat Boy doesn't actually have the Pickwickian syndrome that we call it today. Joe is clearly a patient with very bad sleep apnea. So the symptoms that Joe experiences, he falls asleep all the time. He, he falls asleep while you're talking to him and he has to be pinched to be awakened. He falls asleep while serving at the table. He just is standing and snoring while he's standing at the table. It's a very colorful description, and this is a description of very severe sleep apnea. These people sleep all the time, and the reason is they never actually get sleep because their sleep is constantly being interrupted by their apnea events. So what you have in sleep apnea is the person falls asleep, starts to snore. Snoring by itself can be a problem, but not necessarily. But with severe sleep apnea, the obstruction to airflow becomes complete. So there's no air movement at all. The brain is very protective of breathing. So when the brain senses that there's a problem with the rhythm of breathing, or the pressure required to breathe is too high, or a number of other things that are out of whack, there will be a startle re reflex. And your brainstem will stimulate the brain, activate the reticular activating system, and you'll wake up. So people with bad sleep apnea fall asleep, start to snore, and wake up, and they will do this they will cycle through this uh, maybe every minute. So a very bad patient with sleep apnea will have 60 events an hour, about one a minute. Uh, you can have the highest apnea indexes that I see are about 110. It's hard to get worse than that because beyond that, 
we can't really score separate events. Everything is running together, so it would be it, it would be hard to give a higher index than say 120. What kind of treatments are there for sleep apnea? So for sleep apnea, you want to prevent the apnea. So you want to prevent the obstruction. Now the obstruction in most people is due to abnormal tone of the neck muscles. So the neck muscles work fine when the person's awake. But when the person falls asleep, these are involuntary muscles just like all your breathing muscles. So when your diaphragm contracts, these muscles in the neck contract and they contract to stabilize this the trachea the cervical the cervical trachea the trachea in your neck because without that support the natural uh, distribution of pressure tends to collapse the airway and people with sleep apnea have an obstruction just proximal to the cervical trachea up in the larynx and pharynx which causes a large pressure drop, causing the airway to shut completely. And you want to get these muscles working properly, and if they don't, you have to have some other way to keep the airway open. So the usual treatment is something called continuous positive airway pressure, or CPAP. In very severe cases, the patients need a tracheostomy to bypass the obstruction in the pharynx and larynx so that the airway doesn't collapse. How can we ensure that we get enough sleep or rest? And is there a difference in the time of year or season? Yeah, so what we call proper sleep hygiene is very important. There, there are a few things you have to pay attention to. One, you have to allow enough time for sleep. So if you need eight hours of sleep, you got to allow eight hours for it. You can't, you know, I mean... We can't do anything about time. The other thing is your hormone cycle, the circadian rhythm of your adrenal gland, is set by the time you wake up in the morning. So ideally, you want to wake up the same time every morning. It's not really healthy to wake up several hours later on the weekend. So stay up real late and then wake up at noon on the weekend that just disrupts your, your biological rhythm. You want to wake up the same time every morning. And if you do that and allow enough time for sleep, you'll wake up at the same time. You won't need an alarm clock. I have not used an alarm clock for you know 20 years because I do those two things. I allow enough time for sleep and I wake up at the same time every morning. What's your secret? Well, mostly it's allowing enough time for sleep. And sleep has to be a priority, and you have to stop doing other activities to allow yourself to go to sleep. So you've got to protect that part of your schedule. The other thing is you don't want to be eating right before you sleep. That causes reflux and other things. And your activity prior to sleep is also important. A very good habit is to read something really boring. So the history of the Peloponnesian War, you know, would be a good choice. You don't want to read a horror story. You certainly don't want to play video games right before you go to sleep because your brain is real active. You, 
during the time right before going to sleep, you want to be relaxing and you want to be preparing your brain for sleep. So reading is a very good way to do that, but you got to read appropriate material. What do you recommend for people who work nights or different shifts? Yeah, if you work nights all the time, you can have a normal cycle. You just your cycle's going to be shifted from everybody. But the people who work, you know, two weeks at night and then two weeks during the day, that can be a challenge. I think younger people adapt to that better than older people, but it is a challenge and it takes it takes several days to get your cycle adjusted to shift it by 12 hours so that you're, you know, you're alert when you're up and working and you're ready to sleep properly when most people are awake. So it it doesn't happen immediately. It takes it takes some time to make that adjustment. Do home remedies work such as warm milk or counting sheep or melatonin, any of that stuff? Well, I wouldn't advise milk because I wouldn't advise eating or drinking anything within two hours of going to sleep. You're just setting yourself up for reflux. And reflux gets worse and worse as you get older. The melatonin is used by a lot of people. I'm not a big fan of drug therapy for sleep. I think most of the sleep problems are caused by bad habits, and the solution is to correct the habit. Unfortunately, people want to maintain the bad habit and fix it with a drug. I don't think that works very well. I think the habits need to be fixed, and then you don't need the drugs. What is your opinion on naps? Naps are great, and in fact, naps are uh, can be essential therapy for an uncommon but important illness called narcolepsy. So narcoleptics don't have obstruction to their airway. They have another problem related to REM sleep, and they, they don't get proper sleep, but they can be refreshed by sleeping. So naps can be therapeutic. They just have to take naps frequently. But if the, if the job is such, if somebody works at home, for example, they could take strategic naps throughout the day and they could function quite well. So naps work very well, but naps don't replace your normal sleep. And you don't, again, you don't want to be confusing your adrenal gland. So you want your adrenal gland to start at the same time every day. When should we see a doctor about our lack of sleep or tiredness? Well, there are a few, a few things to watch for. You should feel rested when you wake up. If you feel rested when you wake up, you're probably getting enough sleep and your sleep is probably adequate. If when you wake up, you feel just as tired as when you went to sleep, you may have a problem. And so that's the first warning sign is you do not feel rested when you wake up. Obviously, if you are falling asleep during the day when you're supposed to be doing something, that's very bad. If you fall asleep driving, that can be catastrophic. So any anybody who is having problems staying awake driving shouldn't drive until they get the problem fixed. So 
anytime you fall asleep and go off the road, you need to get help and you need to stop driving. People who work machinery, if they're falling asleep while working their machinery, could be setting themselves up for a, a very severe injury. So again, that's a problem. But if, if you're refreshed when you wake up and you function properly during the day, then you're probably okay. Now, a lot of people will fall asleep in the easy chair an hour after lunch or something. That's not pathologic. Falling asleep while you're doing nothing after a meal is fairly common and, and it's not a cause for concern. It's falling asleep at inappropriate times is a cause for concern. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, there's, there, there are other problems. Again, the main problem is sleep apnea because it's so common. It, about 10% of the population has it. I have it. I use a machine at night. So um, it's a very common problem. You don't have to be obese, although obesity is a risk factor. But thin people can have sleep apnea too. Other problems of sleep are less common, but they can't be lumped together with sleep apnea. So insomnia is the opposite. You can't fall asleep, and that's a different problem. has to be managed differently. Well, thank you so much for coming on our podcast and talking to us about sleep and how to wake up without an alarm clock. Okay. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts so you won't miss our next episode. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Texas Tech Health Check is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and produced by Tierra Castillo, Susana Cisneros, and me, Melissa Whitfield. <laughs>